Hello, my name is Jesse Thomas, and today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9-11 through 11 and 20. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place besides the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Hey, Grace242, happy Mother's Day. And to honor mothers on this day, there's a Twitter hashtag called MomQuotes. And I just want to read some of the funnier ones from this hashtag as we get into Mother's Day today. Marty Cheddar says, My mom always forgets movie titles. Her favorite movie is You've Got Mail, but I've heard her call it You Have Internet. <laughs> Congratulations! Ding, ding! You now have internet. Elena Gendron says, My mom used to whistle at old men in public. When they turned, she'd elbow me and say, Stop that! Stop, sorry, it was her. Nate Hoot says, every time I email my mom something with a link in it, she immediately calls and asks, will this destroy my computer? Misty Fox says, one morning my mom asked me if I took a goober home the night before. After thinking about it, I said, mom, do you mean Uber? It's LJ says, when my mom would drive us kids around, she would break really hard to make us lean forward, then say, bow to mom. <laughs> bow to mom. I love that one. Victoria Pike says, yesterday my mom ordered a Thai chi latte from Starbucks. Simpoevsky says, my mom made up her own saying in the 90s. Talk to the palm because you ain't the mom. <laughs> Talk to the palm because you ain't the mom. That's amazing. Jules Reed 1 says, one night my mom told us we were having roast bork for dinner. We asked her what that was and she said, well I'm defrosting something from the freezer and I can't tell if it's beef or pork yet. Hooray Platypus says, my mom couldn't find the movie she wanted on Netflix, so she said, oh well, someone else is probably watching it, I'll try again tomorrow. Magistrake 07 says, my mom once said to a drive through cashier, are you ever afraid someone will reach in there and get ya? <laughs> well now I am. Brandon Winkler says, after seeing an instant replay during a football game, my mom said, oh my gosh, they did it again. <laughs> it happened again, same thing. Savon Hake 15 says, I heard my mom say, I love you. I replied, I love you too. And she said, I'm sorry, I was talking to the dog. <laughs> the dog has planted the children. Dana Grace 20 says, my mom said, the TV is broken. There's just a big 11 on the screen. It was the pause button. G2 Rars says, my brothers and I asked my mom who her favorite kid was. She said, I don't have one. You all equally annoy me. <laughs> That's great. Happy Mother's Day, Grace242. Well, it's Mother's Day, and so we're taking a one-week break from our discipleship series to honor God's brilliant design of motherhood. We'll do so by looking at a biblical mother, a woman named Hannah, whose story is told in the book of 1 Samuel. And as we walk through Hannah's story, we're going to look at Hannah's problem, Hannah's prayer, and then Hannah's promise. We'll begin with Hannah's problem. Open with me to the first chapter of 1 Samuel, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf, in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Joram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, of Ephraim. 
Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priest of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion, because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Just because you have no children. You have me, isn't that better than having ten sons? First Samuel introduces us to this man named Elkanah who has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And Hannah has a problem in that she has no children. Peninnah has children, but Hannah has none. And right off the bat, we have to pay attention to the gigantic cultural role here. This is a patriarchal culture where women were valued largely according to their ability to have children, especially sons. Because continuing the family line through sons was of critical importance. Now, I realize this is very oppressive and difficult for our modern ears, and praise the Lord, we no longer treat women by and large as a culture this way. But there is a practical element to the patriarchy in that continuing the family line through sons ensured continued workers, it ensured an income for the family, and it ensured survival for the family. Because remember, there is no government social safety net for the family there. So you need sons to work, to keep the family business alive, to keep an income coming in, and also for protection against enemies. To make the problem worse, Hannah has to endure the ridicule of Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah. Elkanah, as a faithful Yahweh worshiper, would travel yearly to the tabernacle at Shiloh to offer sacrifices. Now remember, this predates King David making Jerusalem the capital city of Israel. So the tabernacle at Shiloh is the central location for worship for Israel at this point in their history. Each year that the family would travel to Shiloh, Peninnah would reduce Hannah to tears through her ridicule of Hannah for having no children. And Elkanah at that point would comfort Hannah. Now, Here's what I love. This is such a male moment, all right? We're gonna look at this obtusely, thoroughly male moment of Elkanah trying to comfort his wife, Hannah. Look at 1 Samuel 1, verse 8, and see how obtusely male this is. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? And here's the money line. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? <laughs> I mean, Elkanah. I imagine him, hey, baby, what's wrong? You have me, isn't that better than having 10 sons? And oh sure, Elkanah, I'm imagining that as soon as you said that, Hannah immediately stopped crying and said, you're right, honey, and burst into a chorus of, Babe, I got you, babe. I got you, babe. Super male moment on the part of Elkanah. However, he, he truly did love Hannah. And some commentators believe that the choice portion that he gave to Hannah in verse 5 indicates that Elkanah even loved Hannah more than he loved Peninnah. Regardless, this is just another indicator of complications inherent in marital arrangements that fall outside of God's one biological man, one biological woman design. But it's Hannah's problem that begins to reveal her godly character. Hannah's problem prompts her prayer. 
We're going to look at Hannah's prayer, and this time we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll read verses 9 through 18. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. I think Hannah functions as a model for us in that Hannah brings her problem to the Lord in prayer. She brings her anguish, her grief, her sadness, all to the Lord in prayer. She doesn't try to solve the problem herself. I can't help but see a contrast between her and Sarai, Abraham's wife. Sarai was childless. So what did Sarai do? Had Abraham bear a child through her servant, Hagar. Sarai took matters into her own hands. Conversely, Hannah brings the problem to the Lord in prayer. I also find it significant that Hannah's anguish and sorrow did not drive her away from the Lord. Instead, it drove her toward the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel 1 verse 10. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. This shows you the orientation of Hannah's heart. How often do we let anguish or sorrow or grief drive us away from the Lord? But Hannah ran to God. She ran into his open arms and sobbed into them. Now, before I tell you this story, I want you to know that I have explicit permission from the person to tell you this very thing. When I see Hannah driven into the arms of the Lord in her anguish and her sorrow, I think of another mother in our very own congregation. I think of Ann Junius. Many of you know that at the beginning of this year, Paul and Ann Junius's son took his own life. And I was there the morning after they got the word and I was at their house with them. And so I'm spending time with Paul and Ann on probably what is their worst day of their life, certainly one of the worst days of their lives. And amidst all this sorrow and anguish and pain, it is a joy for me to recall the orientation of Anne's heart in the midst of losing her own son. I remember her constantly proclaiming her faith in the Lord through all of it. I remember her saying how much she relies on him through all this. I remember at one time praying with them and praying that the Lord would work his purposes you know, Romans 8.28, God causes everything to work for the good of those who love him. That, that would be true in this case, in this worst of sorrows that Anne and Paul were experiencing. And I remember after praying that, Anne even said something like, Lord, work your purposes through my son. That will make his death worth it. To be able to proclaim that the morning after finding out. And, and Anne will tell you today that she was never mad about that whole situation. Sad, sorrowful. You know, tons of tears cried at night, absolutely, but she was never angry. 
Why? Because her heart is oriented toward the Lord, even amidst all the sorrow and anguish and pain. Hannah did not let the sorrow and pain drive her away from the Lord. She let it drive her right into his arms where she poured her heart out. Hannah is an example of a godly mother, one whose grief and tears drive her into the arms of God. Hannah brings her problem to God in prayer, which prompts a promise. Let's look at 1 Samuel 1 and we'll read verses 10 and 11. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Hannah promises God that if he grants her a son, she'll dedicate her son to the Lord's service. And God remembers Hannah and grants Hannah her request. Hannah gives birth to a son, and after weaning him, Hannah makes good on her promise to God, turning Samuel over to the Lord's service in the tabernacle. Look with me at 1 Samuel 1, and we'll read verses 24 to 28. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. How hard must it have been for Hannah to give up her only son for service to the Lord in the tabernacle? But Hannah, as an example of a godly mother, launches her son into the Lord's service. Here again, Hannah sets an example as a godly mother. Some of you have met my mom, Julie Verveldi, and from an early age, my mom consistently did something right. She would frame her role as our mother to us as kids. And here's what she would say. She would say, Billy, you don't belong to me. You belong to God. And God has appointed me as your mother, as a steward over you. And therefore, as your mom it's, and as your steward, it's my job to prepare you to someday launch you out into God's service, wherever that is, however that looks, I need to release you into that service someday. And so it's my job as your mother to steward you and to prepare you for someday when I release you and launch you into God's service. And she would do this over and over again. It's not like she just said that once. She said that over and over again to us in different ways based off of age appropriateness, depending on where we were and how old we were at the time. But she reaffirmed this over and over again. And I tell you this story because my mom realized what Hannah's promise was. Godly moms understand that their children ultimately belong to God. Therefore, it becomes their job to steward their children to launch them into kingdom service someday. And I just think about how hard it must have been for Hannah to release her only son into God's service. But God knows this too. God's been in those shoes. Because God knows what it's like to release his only son into service. And it just so happens that releasing his son into service looked like death on a cross. Hannah released her son into tabernacle service. And God releases his son 
into kingdom service, which is death on a cross. In chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Hannah prays a prayer of praise to God for the gift of Samuel. And here again, Hannah sets another example. It's just example after example after example. A godly mother praises God. That's the example she sets. A godly mother thanks God for her children and praises him for his mighty work. There's a lot of parallel between Hannah's prayer of praise in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and Mary's prayer of praise after finding out that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Both women connect motherhood to God's purposes and his explicit work. They both name God as the one who brings down evil and then raises up to salvation. Look at Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 6 through 9. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Let's compare Hannah's words of praise in chapter 2 of Samuel to Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 51 through 54. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Both Hannah and Mary recognize that it is the Lord who triumphs over evil. It is the Lord who saves. It is the Lord who raises up. And both recognize that they play a role in God's salvation work as moms. Hannah's son will serve as a judge and a key leader of Israel, appointing the first kings of Israel. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the ancestor of King David. He is the king of kings. He is the king of Israel, the savior. Hannah names her son Samuel, which in the Hebrew, the name Samuel literally means his name is God. Mary gives birth to the Son of God and following the instructions of the angel names him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves or God saves. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and we'll read verse 21. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Through both of these mothers, God is working his salvation purposes. Samuel to be judge over Israel, and Jesus to be that salvation. Now, I recognize that there might be a temptation for some of us to play the comparison game and want to compare ourselves to these mothers, Mary and Hannah. And in doing that, it'd be tempting for us to say, well, that's Mary and Hannah who gave birth to Samuel and Jesus, and I'm nothing like those mothers. And, and what I want to say is that that's the wrong thing to be doing right now. Like, don't, just don't even do that. Instead, what I would want us to do is I would want us just to recognize how God tends to like to work his purposes through motherhood and childbearing. I mean, just look at the narrative of scripture. Last week we talked about Abraham being multiplied into a nation. How do you multiply someone into a nation? Well, you need mothers who have children and lots of mothers who have lots of children. 
And then you look at Jesus and God himself saw it fit to enter our world as one of us, but through a mother, through a biological mom, right? And so God tends to really like motherhood and childbearing as part of his purposes. And so I think the proper response right now is just to marvel and thank the Lord for working his purposes through mothers having children. Now, I also recognize that there might be some of us who carry a lot of pain into this day because we either had a bad mother or maybe we wanted to be mothers but were unable to or maybe we are mothers but our children are in heaven and we'll be meeting them someday because we never had the chance to meet them in this life. So I recognize that today can bring a lot of pain for people but I think all of us can thank the Lord for a mother who gave birth to us. Thank you, Lord, that we get to experience our life. Thank you for your design of mothers who would then give birth, bringing new humans into this world. Thank you for our life, that we were birthed through our mothers. I think that's something we can thank the Lord for. And also, I think all of us should look at a godly mother like Hannah and follow her example. Hannah, praise the Lord. We all ought to be praisers of the Lord. Hannah was driven into the arms of the Lord through her sorrow and grief, and we ought to be driven into the arms of the Lord amidst our sorrow and grief. So I think we ought to thank the Lord, praise the Lord for motherhood and his good design today, but also follow the example of Hannah. So as you finish up the message this week, just a few things to talk about in your house churches. Number one, what are you taking away from this week's message? What's resonating with you? On Thursday of this week, what is the thing that you're going to remember from this message? Secondly, Hannah is an example of what a godly mother looks like. And if you had a godly mother, I'd love for you to share about how your mom served as an example to you, how she was an example of godliness. Or maybe, more sadly, your mom was the opposite example and not an example to emulate. And maybe you can talk about that as well. If your mom wasn't a believer or if she was a bad example in some way, maybe you can talk about that. As you go into prayer time, I want you to take some specific time to thank the Lord for your mom. Maybe you could have a time where each one of you speaks out loud the name of your mom as a prayer of thanks to him. Maybe in that moment that you speak her name, you thank the Lord for her. You can do that in your prayer time. I would even encourage you to take some time to get on your phones and send a text to your mom. Maybe you'd send her a quick prayer of thanks for your mom or Maybe you just remind her of something that she showed you. Maybe you remind her of a way that she was an example to you. Maybe you could even tell your mom a story, something that stuck with you that she did that she doesn't even remember anymore. Maybe you can bless her in that way. Send her an email, send her a text. You can do that in your house churches. Take some time to text or to email or just send a word of thanks to your mom. Suffice it to say, God's design of motherhood is absolutely amazing, especially when you see the way that he works his salvation purposes through mothers. Two things, make sure you thank the Lord for your mother today and make sure you thank God for his salvation that often comes to us through moms. So thank the Lord, thank your mother. See you next week, Grace242, love you.